everyone. I'm Stephen DeLaRocher. I am Taylor Draper. And welcome to Dressing for Wellness, a show where we aim to break down the walls of mental health stigmas by hosting authentic and inspiring conversations with people in the menswear community. We'll talk about how style has changed their lives for the better by empowering them and enhancing their confidence, and how style can do the same for you. So pull up a chair and let's listen in. So I guess for our audience who isn't familiar with the history of Movember, we know it wasn't started here in the United States. Can you give can you give our audience a little bit of the history of how it got started and where it started? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like all origin stories, it's uh, obviously an interesting one to go back to. It was really just a uh, an idea between a couple guys back in Melbourne, Australia in 2003. And there was no cause. There was no conversation around men's health at the time, but it was largely around the conversation of why mustaches had kind of disappeared from the face of, of men's fashion. And mm-hmm. so that year they challenged um, 30 other mates to grow a mustache for the month of November, as we now term it. And it was uh, the concept of growing only a mustache. So shaving clean on the first, which is still the, uh, if you're a traditionalist, uh, that's the rule. You go clean shave on the first and grow only a mustache. So as you can imagine, uh, for most that have tried to do that, it's fairly awkward about 10 days in. <laughs> but the point behind that was they had really just a, an engaging time. And there was a lot of conversation. A lot of people asked the question like, why are you doing this? And they didn't have a a clear response, right? Other than, oh, we, you know, just want to grow mustaches. But they came back around to it the following year and, and thought about it a bit more and did a little research. And if you look at the incidence rates of prostate cancer amongst men, they're very similar in terms of the incident rate that you see for breast cancer amongst women. Mm-hmm. And so it was tying it to that cause initially and saying, hey, is this an opportunity for take something that is fun, irreverent, maybe not so serious and tied to something more serious around prostate cancer? From there, uh, pretty quickly moved from 2003 to 2007. We were very early into adopting social media as our platform to get this grassroots idea out there into the ether. Uh, We moved to the US, Canada, UK, and then most of the EU in 2007. So we currently sit in 20 countries around the world. We focus on three cause areas, and that being mental health and suicide prevention for men and boys, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. And to date, we've had about five and a half million participants globally. We operate in those 20 countries. We invest in those 20 countries. And uh, we're just shy of raising a billion dollars in our history. So really excited about that. That's the success. But the significance is what we're doing with that investment. Yeah, that's amazing. Can you... First of all, there's a ton of of parallels just as you're speaking between our brand too of just how cool it is to just have like a clothing, like for us, it's dressing for wellness. So like making yourself feel confident and putting a suit on. And that's just like the cool, that's the cool part that I think gets people in just like the mustache. It's a cool thing to like grow a mustache, man. I don't get to do that very often. Here's an excuse for it. And it's for the greater good though. It's for, um, for us is for mental health. And I'm really excited to see you guys get into the mental health space. Cause I know that's, that's fairly new, right? It's been something we focused on since 2006. In Australia, so a lot of our, because we're based there, our our global headquarters are in Melbourne. We have been doing work in mental health since 2006. We only started doing work in the US in 2014. And that was largely because we were establishing ourselves the first several years. And then we wanted to make sure that when we moved into the mental health space in other markets like the US, that quite frankly, we could start having enough investment available to start making an impact as opposed to these very small points of investment and impact. So we looked at 
the landscape in the US, uh, which is an incredibly unique market from November's context around how health is delivered, the inequity in healthcare, uh, and particularly around mental health and the inequity in mental health and, and how it's very much focused on the treatment end of the paradigm uh, around mental health. So servicing people when they're in an acute state, so if they're obviously ideating or considering suicide, mm-hmm. but also treating people who are dealing with anxiety and depression. Our focus in 2014 really looked at two things. One is how does American society impact the mental health of men and boys, particularly with respect to trauma and coping? One area of focus for us has always been on uh, communities of color in that space. So we have a fairly significant investment uh, called Making Connections, which operates across 13 communities in the U.S. and, and five that we're moving forward with from here. And the other side was just really understanding prevention. And anything we're doing within Making Connections or anything we're doing within mental health and suicide prevention is really focused on that prevention. How do we engage earlier on in helping men if they experience trauma or boys as they experience trauma, build better coping and resilience Mm -hmm. so that when they are faced with adversity, they do experience trauma, they have different and better avenues to avail themselves of to come out the other side in a better state. Yeah, that's incredible. So the the like preventative side of those programs, like like uh, could you elaborate on those a little bit? Sure. A lot of and this is, this is the conversation we're all having, right, even today. But it starts with the concept of masculinity. I think mm-hmm. we can acknowledge that masculinity has been fairly narrow and rigid for some time for a number of men. And particularly if you look at the lens of how different communities define masculinity from there. And so what we've, what we've seen in that is that that's actually put men in a bad position or boys in a bad position. I have a seven-year-old son and I'm you know, currently doing a lot of test and learn around this yeah. particular issue. And I think just acknowledging that, and to be really clear, we're not talking about toxic masculinity. I think that's absolutely the wrong frame and language you should use when you're trying to engage in this conversation. Because the moment you hear that first word, it turns people off. Yeah. It's about how do we look at healthy masculinity and what that looks like and expanding what masculinity should look like. That's the first point. The second point is a stigma, particularly around mental health and men talking about their health in general, but mental health in particular. A lot of our work in prevention is around just opening up the conversation, engaging in the conversation um, from the outset and giving men the tools, both the opportunity to talk to people. So there are active listeners on the other side of, I'm not doing well today. And also those men and, and those communities, the vocabulary. I think men really struggle with explaining how they feel inside. And Absolutely. so that's a big piece of it that so if you look at masculinity and you look at that, that prevention lens, that social connection, right? How do we re-engage in that? And how do we give men the places to do that, have that conversation and the vocabulary to have that conversation? No, exactly. That's, man, that's so inspirational to me because even just some of the verbiage that you use is, is exactly what we say. We say like, how can we look at this from a healthy perspective? How can we one and most importantly inspire conversations? Because that's how we started the brand, and that's how I started the brand for the for my own story. Is when I was going through just the worst time in my life, I was realizing that one, all I had was dressing well, and one, all I had was my suit in the morning. That was the only thing that I had to look forward to all day was being able to put the suit on and being confident in how I looked. And what it was doing though was it was giving me the confidence to start having these conversations I needed to have to like fix my failing marriage and like work on communication between my businesses and things like that to get these things back on track. But it all started with, with the suit for me. 
So it's, it's just, it's just amazing. I'm so happy that our brands have kind of aligned and uh, we're doing some, some cool stuff together, but it's, it's just so important for, for men to not look at it in the negative light of toxic masculinity and that those kind of phrasings and look at it more like, let's just look at what healthy conversations look like. And let's look at a safe space to be able to have those for one. I think you can't have those conversations without a safe space or a forum first. And like some people, some men that I've spoken to don't even know where to start with that. Like they need to actually be told like, Hey, I'll talk to you, man. Like I will talk to you, but also like you have your friend group and this is how you could start like saying, Hey guys, I don't feel like I'm okay. I'm not okay right now. And and making them feel like that's not a weakness. That's a strength. Yeah. And I think that's really important is this doesn't have to be so structured, but there has to be a a little bit of guide and guidance on, on how do you have this conversation? So Mm. in our work in prevention, so we do work in the community-based perspective, as I mentioned, around making connections and really looking at communities of colors and veterans communities and saying, how do we engage on the ground with people who actually know these communities, they themselves, Mm -hmm. as well as those that support those communities to better inform how we do that work with them. And in a lot of ways, Movember steps back. We don't engage upfront with those individuals in that community. We actually look to the community and the resources around them, whether that's a local church group, whether that's uh, a local community college and say, how can we help support this community of men, whether it be veterans mm-hmm. or, or, or black men in, in, in certain communities and let them tell us how it works and apply the principles that we're trying to put through that is competent for that cultural lens that they have to have. And I think the other side of it is when you look at this other piece of work around that social connection, right? We're living in probably the, the most difficult time for a lot of the places that men congregate, bars, barbershops, sports arenas, like those are all largely gone or shut down. I don't personally like the term social distancing because it's not about social distancing. It's about the physical distance. Mm-hmm. You can still have that social connection between men. It's just a lot harder now. And so when we look at the frame of how do we engage in that conversation? How do we give men and those around them the tools to have the conversation? You know, we employ a very simple approach. And we had done this work in 2006 in Australia, all the way up through current day with an organization called Are You Okay? So in working with them and funding them initially, it was all around the ALEC model that they've devised and developed. And the approach there is just ask, right? And this is the hardest part is like, don't let that monosyllabic, hey man, how you doing? I'm good, Mm. right? That's... Right. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't, you, yeah, you don't want to yeah. overextend and you don't want to probe too much. Be like, okay, is that really how you're feeling? Like, mm. you know, you're not showing up to things. Mm. You're, you're really not engaging with your friend group. You're not on that text chat anymore, whatever it is. And then listen. And I think listen, probably the most important thing that I've learned or I'm trying to learn. I think yep. Taylor, you pointed in your own personal lives with my son and, and my partner is actually listening without judgment. That's yeah. the hardest, I think for me, that's the hardest part. And then encouraging action is the E and then check in, which is the C. So it's just a very simple approach framework that you can use because given that it allows people to start engaging in those conversations a little bit more authentically and in a way that you can start opening up and feeling like there's a space for you to have that conversation. So how do we deploy that very simple concept and construct across everything we do in, in, uh, prevention for November and mental health for men and boys. No, that's, that's incredible, man. I, I don't think I've ever been so aligned with somebody like just speaking on this stuff before. So this is just a joy for me to be speaking about this with you. 
but yeah, we do the exact same thing with our shop. Like I've, I've implemented not that exact thing, but very similar thing of how can we get somebody to say, instead of saying, Hey, what are you looking for today? When someone walks in my, my door, we say, Hey, like, how are you? And then get them to actually answer like how they really are to one, just establish that relationship and give them an, an experience, give them an experience when they walk in instead of just like, let's keep this transactional. You know what I mean? We're not just looking for your money. We're looking after your, your mental health. And, um, just even in our company culture, we do a team meeting every Monday and I make sure we all do a, uh, a mental health check-in and we, uh, we don't let anybody slide. So if they don't want to talk about it, they don't have to, of course, but, but we make sure that it's, uh, that people feel like it's a safe space to be able to, um, to express how they're feeling. And then we all see what we can do to, uh, to be there for them. And it's 95% of the time it's just listening. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important is to have that active listening moment not trying to solve the problem either. You always hear the joke about, uh, you know, guys always wanting to not use the map and just figure it out, right? And, and always offer suggestions to everyone else in the room. But I think it's stepping back from that. And the whole point about encourage action, right, is not trying to solve that individual's problem. You know, they might ask for, what do you think? And I think it's about changing it from this concept of solving the problem for them to encourage them like, how hey, have you thought about this? You know, have you approached it in this way? whether it's a conversation about you're having problems at home with your partner or your kids or whatever it is. And so what we've tried to do with that initial concept around Alec and conversation is we moved to developing products now, one called Family Man, uh, which is an online product that we're launching on the eve of uh, the coming campaign, which is really around like, how do you have difficult, how do you have those, when you have those difficult moments with your kids, how do you instead of maybe using language or an action or reaction that ends up going in the wrong direction, you know, how do you use different language and approaches to, um, to navigating, helping in some ways better engage your children uh, in thinking about how they see the world and how they talk about their own personal issues. And then yeah. um, even, in, even in Movember Conversations, another product that we have, uh, if you search on Movember Conversations, it's available. It's just an online tool to start that. Com- it's just a start. It's not deep in the weeds, but it's really like, how do you even employ the ALEC model and what are some scenarios you can use? Yeah. Uh, and I think those simple tools are just, they're out there and available for anyone to use and really just to, to look at it and see, oh, is this something I can employ in my own conversations? Those, those types of tools are so important because I feel like in my own experience, there is almost that subconscious pressure to, to help your friend, you know, or to help someone you care about. And sometimes in the wanting to help or fix a situation for someone, you end up tripping over your words, maybe saying the wrong thing and not actually doing anything that is actually helpful. And so like, I think that's an incredible a resource for anyone to, to be able to navigate those waters. I think that's, that's incredible. I love that. I think it's important. I, the, the other thing I'd say is one of the very pointy conversations that we're all having now is is the more difficult end of the spectrum, which is those that are are thinking about self harm. And the one thing that we've found in our own research and research in the field around ideation around suicide or self harm, um, and those that have quite frankly survived, we've talked to men and women who have attempted and survived the attempt. And what they often say is that in that moment that ability to connect to someone. So you get a late night text from a buddy who's in a bad place, like that opportunity to take or pick up the phone and actually talk to them can be life-changing. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing to, th- to think about with that is it's a really hard 
conversation to have. It's a really hard question to even ask, but asking the question and letting someone know if they're in that dark place that you're there get, opens it up. And so then you, you can get into a deeper conversation. And I think that, that really people are very scared of, of engaging in that. And I think what you often hear is if you actually can do it in the right way, and there's in November conversations, some of the other things that we have out there, uh, how do you have that conversation with someone who might be considering that? Because getting into that and showing them and providing them an outlet and someone that listen to them, I think is incredibly important and can be preventative. No, absolutely. And I just, uh, really quick, I'd love to put these, um, these tools in these show notes and everything too. So I'll make sure to like find the right links for those and put them up for anybody listening. But something that you said that's just so important is just going off of the listening thing is, is not saying, not listening to someone and say, well, here's what I would do. It's always kind of shifting the narrative to, to make it about them again, just say, just, well, how are you feeling in this? And even if they say like, what would you do? I would say, what's your first inclination that you would do? And kind of just point the conversation that way too. But no, that's, that's amazing. So really, really cool. So going back to, um, to your position with Movember, so you kind of do everything all day, but is your big kind of all your work kind of go into Movember the month? Is that like where you do most of your work or how does, how does it work? It is. I mean, obviously very focused right now on the coming campaign, but I think quite simply, that's the campaign and that's how we, that's how we raise funds. A vast majority of our funds from the, come from the campaign over the 30 days of November. However, I think when you look at prostate cancer and you look at what's happening with a man who's uh, progressing through the prostate cancer journey or mental health is that we realize that's a 365, right? That's happening every single day. So while we're focused on the campaign and we're known for the campaign, everyone considers November that time of year, it's everything else that's happening in those other 11 months and making sure we create that balance, right? Doing the work to engage our community, ask them for donations, to then do the work for the rest of the year and on behalf of men. And I think that's probably the most important thing. So when I look at my day-to-day, yes, lion's share of my work right now is on that campaign and making sure that the, the team and the campaign and the community feels like they're supported. But the other part of it is really making sure we don't lose sight of what we're trying to do in the world. What's our mission? What's our impact? What are we trying to be significant in? And um, yeah, that that's with me every morning. And in fact, of everything, I mean, look, I love growing a mustache every year and you know getting really into the campaign. But I think it's the the, the significance, the impact that we're having. Uh, that's the stuff that that gets me to work every day. Yeah, that's incredible. How do you like on on a personal level, if you don't mind sharing, like sure. like how do you keep that at like the forefront of your mind, like to keep to keep that focus on like this is where we're going. This is why we do this every day. Like, could you, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think we all have our personal anecdotes and stories and close friends. My own father has, has struggled with depression his whole life. I've seen it. I see it in myself. I see it in my, my brothers and um, we all struggle with this. So we have our own personal journeys and, and stories. And on the cancer side, my mother is currently uh, battling ovarian cancer. Uh, she's a breast cancer survivor. I've had mm-hmm. uncles who have had prostate cancer and other types of cancer, but in that space, and probably what was a big turning point for me, I was within November at this point in time, but I lost a very close childhood friend to pancreatic cancer at 35. And to me, that was shocking. It was the first person close to me and our group of friends that, that had ever, ever passed. And what we didn't realize at the time was some of us knew where 
where things were going and leading, right? You just had to look at the data to understand that pancreatic cancer is not something that's survivable often. It's a survival rate, but it's, it's very slim. And, but we never got to the point of um, having a conversation and, and really digging into how he was doing, right? He was very effusive and funny and, hey, everything's fine. But you knew on the inside, he probably was really struggling. And I, I think in talking to that group of friends, we never really engaged him in that because we didn't know how, right? Mm-hmm. It was just so shocking to think that he's got this disease, he may not be here, that we couldn't get to. How do we take the time that he's here with us to celebrate that and support him? And I think that was that was probably the most impactful piece is, is if you pull all of it together, cancer and mental health, that individual experience was was pretty foundational in terms of why why I still do this work. Yeah. So it's all it's all very, very personal. It's very close to home. Yeah. It's um I, with cancer and with mental health. I mean, one in four Americans have a mental health issue. So it touches almost every single family. And if you go to those you work with, it's it's obviously there. Right. So how do you how do you engage in this um, and have an honest conversation, I think is important. No, absolutely. And especially with COVID now, I, I was reading some statistics um, just yesterday that it's that depression has increased six times just across the board. Yeah, it's um, for those in the public health community uh, like ourselves or those that are supporting initiatives around um, mental health or suicide prevention. We all know what's coming and it's not good news. The news is already not great for men. If you look at globally, about 500,000 men take their own lives each year. That's 60 men an hour. That's one man a minute. So if you think about that, and if you actually go to our campaign on our MOVE initiative, which is being active for the 30 days of of November, it's doing 60 miles uh, to recognize those 60 men. Something very simple. 60 miles is not a lot for 30 days. It's two miles a day, but it's an acknowledgement of of the, the, the cause of the challenge. So, but if you take that in the U.S. context, about 48,000 Americans take their own lives each year. Three-fourths, 75% of those are men. And so you have this real challenge, and that number is getting bigger. It has been for some time. So the question is, what, what do we need to do differently? Right? How do we look at prevention? How do we look at early intervention? Because the current treatment paradigm for mental health doesn't seem to be working. Men are, in particular, ending off in a worse place. And you know, there's a lot of conversation about it now, so I'm, I'm encouraged, right? The numbers I don't think are going to get better with what's happening in terms of isolation. It's only going to make it worse because men have lost that social connection that they might have had at the barbershop or the ball game, right? And then you, you look at what that conversation is leaning into. So we're doing a piece of work with uh, WIDO, which is the, uh, the DC arm of PBS. So we've joined a number of other organizations, both in the foundation space as well in the corporate space around the mental health crisis for youth in America. So it's a Ken Burns documentary film that's going to be coming out in a few years and really kind of looking at what are the, what's the depth of the issue and then how do we solve for it? So it's a multifaceted, multivariable challenge we've got, uh, but we've got to acknowledge with you know, the fact that the numbers aren't in a good place and we've got to look at this differently. No, absolutely. It's, it's always going to be an ongoing conversation, I think, but uh, especially because of COVID and everything, we're in a really tough spot because it's, I think we're in like, there, it's a, a double-edged sword because we're in a really great spot because I think our voices are being listened to more than normal because people are recognizing, at least, at least in our experience, how important mental health is and how important taking depression is. And, uh, and we just launched a, a whole campaign. I don't know if you saw that Mark, but we just lost a whole campaign on, uh, on depression awareness and like telling a story and just trying to 
and tie that in. And we used your stats actually for that, the same kind of stats you just said. And it's, and it's a double-edged sword because it's, I think more people are like, oh man, this is a serious thing that I haven't necessarily considered before. But because of COVID here, they're, COVID is here, they're going to be looking at that more carefully. But on the other side of that, we're just front loaded with six times more people, uh, six times more men specifically are even, are just depressed. And it's been, the social aspect has been taken away from them and it's, it's in a pretty bad place. Yeah. And I think what you guys are doing is the concept of being a corporate citizen, right? Which is really looking at yourselves as how do I help in your particular case, because you speak to a lot of men and a lot of your customers are men is, you know, how do I help them? Because every company is made of people, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, my members made of people, just like your company's made of people and, and, and understanding how you do that within the four walls of your organization, then how you present that out to the, to the customer base. And I think there's this movement from corporate social responsibility, right? Which is the term of the day to being a corporate citizen and really understanding how do your employees reflect your customers? And if you can balance your employees being in a better state and a better place when they come to work, wanting to do uh, what you need them to do and feeling like they're safe to do that work, that's going to reflect also out to your customers, right? And, and so it's it's mutually beneficial for you as a as a business for your bottom line, but it's also beneficial for your your employees and your customers to be engaging this conversation in a more authentic way. And I think that's what we're seeing is a lot of organizations, a lot of corporates starting to move in that direction because they realize social responsibility is good. And it doesn't have to be around mental health, it can be around the environment. But how do you actually show up, right? What's the way you look authentic in that space that's really important? And I think that has to start with your team internally. Yeah. That's a great, great distinction. Well, Mark, thank you so much for, I don't want to take too much of your time. And thank you so much for speaking with us. This has been amazing. Do you kind of just want to tell our listeners uh, just a few resources that they can do and how to get started and participate in November? Sure. And the easiest thing to do right now, uh, as it were on the eve of campaign, it's October 8th, is go to movember.com. Very simple to sign up. Uh, it's often very simple to grow a mustache uh, if you can. But uh, as we always say, every mustache is like a snowflake. It's beautiful and unique in its own way. And uh, if you don't want to grow a mo or you can't grow a mo, as we call it in uh, November speak, is uh, you can host an event. Obviously, a little bit more challenging these days, but virtually getting together with your friends, doing a trivia night, all the way through to moving for those 30 days, getting outside, you know, taking an opportunity to get physically active so you can get yourself to a good place and also use it as an opportunity to engage in November and, and raise a little bit of funds for men's health. So Movember.com is an easy place to start. And then once you get in there, you can look at all the programs we have. I mentioned Family Man, Movember Conversations, and the work we're doing in making connections. That's all right there to understand what we're trying to do and how we're approaching this incredibly important piece of work. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. And that does it for us here on this episode of Dressing for Wellness. You can check out our social media pages at Inherent Clothier and also visit us on our website at www.inherentclothier.com. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Stephen DeLaRoche. I'm Taylor Draper. We'll see you next time.